This is a sermon preached on July 5th, 2020 at Sure Foundation Lutheran Church located in Brandon, South Dakota on the basis of Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 33. There are just some people that have a unique knack for telling it like it is. Do you know somebody like that? These are people that just don't feel the compulsion or the want to sugarcoat anything. <laughs> they give it to you straight and unfiltered. They tell it like it is. Now, depending on what they're telling you, a lot of times these people can come off as off-putting because you're not used to being someone being so direct with you. But by and large, you have to appreciate someone like this. You're never left guessing what they really meant or what they really thought. You know it. And that is a blessing because you avoid all of the tricks and games. We maybe don't often think of him this way, but Jesus is that guy. He is not just going to speak words to you just to make you happy or to please you, but he is ultimately concerned with speaking the truth to you. Because the truth is going to be what saves you, and the truth is what's going to keep you in the saving faith. The truth is always best, even if it is hard to hear. So here's the truth. You will suffer in this life at the hands of oppression, of opposition. You will be persecuted. There's no maybe there. It's a sure thing, a done deal, 100%. Jesus makes that clear. Those who get carry the gospel are like sheep being sent among wolves. <laughs> there will be people that hate you, just because you believe what you believe. And that's what he's trying to tell his disciples before he sends them out to spread the gospel. And that's what he wants you to know as you go out and spread the gospel as well. So today we're picking up in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 24. Jesus says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more are the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worthy of more than, you are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is God's word. Okay, let's acknowledge a couple things right off the bat. As we read through that section, there were a couple things that were perhaps difficult to understand. 
But I want you to remember that we were picking up in the middle of a conversation. And so as we get the context of what Jesus is saying, we're going to be able to understand a few of these things better. Jesus starts our section by saying that the student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It seems like common sense. The teacher is up here and the student is down here. The master is up here and the servant is down here. So is Jesus trying to teach us to be humble and to know our station in life and not covet other stations in life? Although that might be a very biblical concept, what Jesus is saying is aided by the context. We figure out what he's saying based on the context. He's talking to his disciples before he's about to send them out to do a few things. He's going to tell the disciples to urge people to repent. They're going to share the good news of Jesus with people. And they're going to be given the ability to heal as well. But Jesus wants them to go into this situation with their eyes wide open. He knows that there are going to be people that hate the disciples just because of the message they're carrying. There are going to be people that want to physically harm them. In fact, there are going to be people that even want to kill them just because they believe in Jesus as their Savior, just because they want to carry the gospel to the world. The question is, is that still the case today? Now, I can say with 100% confidence that I have never been physically harmed for my faith. Maybe you have, but couldn't you agree with me that, that by and large in the United States, people are not physically harmed for their faith. And it's even more rare if somebody is murdered for their faith. And so the question is, does persecution still exist? Well, of course the answer is yes. Persecution does still exist. It just looks a little different. It's packaged differently. It's not physical persecution, but it's a different kind of persecution. Let me give you a few examples and let you see if these hit home for you. The general population likes to give Christians labels. And so they'll label them in a few different ways and try to characterize them in this way. They'll say that Christians are simple or unintelligent or uneducated simply because they believe in God's account of creation. That he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. That the, the Word of God is the infallible Word of God and the Holy Word of God. That we believe that Jesus actually did miracles and he actually did rise from the dead. People will call us simple and uneducated just because we believe those things. You may be labeled as closed-minded or narrow-minded if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and that there is one objective truth. You may be considered unloving if you believe that there are some people that will go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. You may be considered behind the times or living in the Stone Age if you believe the biblical view of marriage. If you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and that God creates man and woman uniquely and differently and in complementarian roles, then you might be considered backwards. Basically, if you don't fit societal norms, what the people around us are, are saying are, is acceptable, then you are labeled as an outcast. Now, maybe no one has ever said this to your face, but they think it. And when they look at you and when they listen to you, 
they think these things about you. And you might be able to tell by the way that they talk or the look on their face. We face very real and very difficult persecution. It's just a little different persecution than the disciples faced. Should persecution surprise us? Should it have surprised the disciples? Well, Jesus says no. He says the student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master, meaning that if the teacher, the master Jesus, if he suffered, then how much more will his students and his servants suffer as well? If even Jesus suffered abuse and opposition and persecution, then so will his followers. The Pharisees were constantly trying to slander Jesus. They even hung a name on him, Beelzebul. Now that sounds like a mouthful to us. We don't really know what that means. But it was a double insult. The Pharisees were calling, were, were mocking him and they were blaspheming him at the same time. What they were trying to do is ruin the public perception of Jesus. They were trying to ruin his reputation in order to slow his message. Beelzebub is a play on words. It meant the Lord of the house, or more specifically, the Lord of the temple. The Pharisees were mocking Jesus for his claim to the temple. You see, Jesus had cleansed the temple. Jesus had made uh, prophecies that he would destroy the temple and raise it in three days. Of course, he was talking about his body there, but uh, they didn't know that. And the Pharisees were mocking him based on that. But Beelzebub is also a word that can mean Lord of the Flies, which is a name for a demon. And what the Pharisees were trying to do was associate Jesus with demons. They were saying, he's not really the Son of God. He is able to, to do these miracles and these amazing things because he's using the power of the devil. He's using the power of demons to do these things. What the Pharisees were doing is constructing roadblocks in the way of Jesus and the people. If they could put these roadblocks up, perhaps they could slow his message. If they could sling a bunch of mud at him, maybe nobody would listen to him. The student is not above the teacher. Christians today are labeled as simple, closed-minded, unloving, behind the times, and even worse. But Jesus' charge to the disciples is the same to us. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What I whisper in your ear, proclaim from the roof. His encouragement is, don't let this opposition silence you. We desperately need that encouragement because our opposition wants to silence us. The devil would love nothing more than to have you never talk about your faith or Jesus ever to anybody. He would love for you to avoid opposition by hiding your faith from the people around you. Do a heart check real quick. Is the reason that you have never faced opposition for your faith because no one knows what your faith is? Maybe. If you have faced opposition, how did you react? Did you remain quiet to avoid the trouble? Did you remain quiet because speaking up would be too much work or too much trouble? Have you given up trying to speak to anybody about what you believe because sharing your faith seems hopeless? Jesus has words for this. He says, proclaim it from the roof. Now listen closely. 
This does not mean that we need to seek out confrontation and opposition. It does not mean that we need to jam the Word of God down somebody's throat and badger them until they give in. No. We should still be careful and pick the right time and circumstances to have these conversations. But here's what Jesus is saying. Don't be ashamed of the message you believe. It is a message to be confident in, not ashamed of. The Pharisees and others at Jesus' time, they just didn't understand the message. They thought it was nonsense and they opposed it rigorously. But Jesus said, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or nothing hidden that will not be made known. What the disciples accepted by faith at that time, they would see with their own eyes later. Jesus would die and rise from the dead, and the disciples would witness the resurrected Jesus. They would put their fingers in his wounds and eat with him. Jesus would indeed rise from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God. He is who he said he was. That was revealed in his resurrection. Basically, at the resurrection, the disciples and the truth would be vindicated, which means they would be proved to be true. Jesus' encouragement for us this morning is the same as he gave the disciples. Keep listening. What he tells you in the dark, what is whispered in your ear, that is, what you hear from the word and what you hear at church, he wants you to listen and he wants you to proclaim. You may be labeled as simple, closed-minded, behind the times or worse, but what has not been revealed now will one day be revealed. Jesus will come back on Judgment Day to judge the living and the dead, and on that day, in the face of your opposition, you will be vindicated. Everything that you spoke about Jesus in the daylight and from the rooftops will be proved to be true at Jesus' return. All opposition makes Jesus out to be a liar. But without fail, Jesus is always vindicated because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Your opposition will make you out to be a liar. But without fail, you will be vindicated because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. A while back, my wife and I, Christina, we were headed up to our family's cabin in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. We were riding in an incredibly stylish and vintage, state-of-the-art 2002 Chevy Trailblazer. (laughs) Well, we had just got north of Brookings on I-29 when the battery light came on and I lost power steering and my dashboard was beeping at me and the temperature gauge was way up, so we pulled over to the side of the interstate. I know a little bit about cars, but I wouldn't have had to know anything to know that something was messed up. I opened up the hood and and my belt was wrapped around the fan. We called the tow truck and he he brought us back to Brookings. And after looking the car over, he, he said, we can have this done in about three hours or so. We said, great, that's awesome. We're still gonna make it to the cabin at a respectable time. But then we thought, well, what are we gonna do in the meantime? Isn't that the question of every Christian? Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended into heaven, and we trust that he's coming back someday. But what do we do in the meantime? Well, the Bible speaks a lot about what we can do in the meantime. But this morning, from our text, I want to give you three things. And they all start with the letter R. The first is remember. 
Remember that you are not above your teacher. Remember everything that we talked about in that first section. You will suffer as he did. And often, mis- oftentimes, a misconception of Christians in Christianity is that once you become a Christian, your life will start to become easier. Your job will, will get better. Your business will become successful. You'll start doing better in school. You'll make more friends. Your life will become easier. Your family life will come together. But God never promises that. He will give you blessings throughout your life, but he promises that there will be opposition and that there will be suffering. And it's not meant to depress you, but Jesus is telling it like it is because he wants to prepare you. He does not want you to be disillusioned. He wants you to know the truth. So the first one is remember. The second to do is to revere. There will be opposition that will come at you. But this, and this opposition may cause you to fear, but Jesus wants you to know what he said in the middle of our section today. Your opposition has limits. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. God is the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, which is a harrowing thought. Our God is powerful enough to destroy a body and a soul in hell, and we fear him because of that. But the same God who has the power to do that, and we would deserve that, sent his son Jesus to save us. Through his power, he saved us and he loves us. And so we hold that as a comfort, that the outside world, the external threats cannot threaten our souls. They can only threaten our bodies. Our souls are safe and hidden with Christ in God. The first two to-dos are remember and revere. The third is repeat. Repeat the promises of Jesus that you know. Repeat them to yourself first because it's important for you to hold on to the promises of Jesus as you face opposition. And secondly, repeat those promises to one another. God knows that you are strong in a community, in a community that speaks the word of God to each other in a community that builds each other up with the word of God. He knows that you are strong when you have Christian brothers and sisters who remind you of the promises of God. Remember, revere, repeat. But just like the Bible, God never gives us to-dos without also giving us a source of power to draw from. He gives us two good news pieces in this section for today. The first is that the servant is not above his master, nor the student above his teacher. Your master, your teacher, Jesus, did it first. He faced opposition and persecution, unlike persecution that we will ever know. And he did it without sinning, and he did it for you. Not just as an example, but he did it to give you life to give you salvation, and to give you power to stand up to the lies of sin, to lies of Satan. And number two, Jesus is not absent from your life. He cares about you. Not one sparrow falls to the ground without the Father's knowledge. If he cares and, and knows enough about those sparrows, how much more does he care and know about you? He is so intimately and integrally 
involved in your life. And that is a great comfort to every believer. Friends in Christ, my encouragement for you this morning is to tell it like it is. Don't water down the word or sugarcoat the word for you or for anyone. Speak the truth. We're sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He died for sinners. He rose for sinners. And now sinners have been vindicated. People may call you simple or closed-minded or crazy or worse, but it's not the truth. And whoever acknowledges Jesus on earth, Jesus himself will acknowledge them in heaven, where finally we will be vindicated. Amen.